0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.
1: Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze...
0: To Henry in the year of the
2: primal...
0: oh. It is Tuesday, the 21st of March, and this is Alan Averill. You're listening to Agitator's Anonymous Tuesday's Heavy Metal Miscellany. He the 10th Primordial Album is sort of just about in the bag, being wrapped up, all that kind of thing. So I am in the middle of uh, fixing artwork, mastering, mixing, all that kind of stuff. And the final procedure that goes into making an album which i'll discuss along with a few other things on the podcast on friday but today's podcast um to spare me a little bit of time but it's also pretty fucking cool you may have noticed over on my youtube channel i do these things called the metal salvage chats with joe from gamma bomb and we have a drink we talk heavy metal we get into the minutiae the nerdy detail and detailism, whatever you want to call it, of um, just being um, obsessed nerds about 80s heavy metal or 70s hard rock or 90s, whatever you want. And what we did is um, we made a pretty cool video recently about the albums of 1983. Think about that Show No Mercy, Kill 'em All, Shout of the Devil, Into Glory Ride, Melissa. There's tons of them. So, what I'm going to do here right now is show you part four of that chat which includes three out of those four tasty morsels which we discuss if you want to check out parts one and two and also three you can go to my youtube channel just put in alan averill and you'll find it and you can watch the rest of it and you can see our ugly mugs discussing these things um, and lots of other stupid nonsense but today's tuesday heavy metal miscellany is a chat about some of the heavy-hitting albums from 1983 and what an incredible year it was for um, some of the game-changers that came to heavy metal. All right, enjoy. Stop to mid-salute there, so salute away. There you go, okay.
2: Kill them all. Mm. All for one. Born Again. Like, well, what's good about Born Again, apart from the fact that it exists and it's a novelty, like, you know?
0: A few people... I have a few people I know who swear by it, and I think they're just being pedantic. Do you know what I mean? I think think they're being, like, weird about it, you know?
2: Like, I think the album cover is legitimately really, really interesting. And I think songs like Digital Bitch and stuff are funny, but I don't know. Like, maybe, maybe there are. I think that if there are any Sabbath fans who are watching this who listen to this album and think it's great, but don't listen to the Tony, Fat Cat, Martin era, then they're fooling themselves. This album is nowhere near as good as a lot of those records, you know.
0: I like the soft focus pictures of the band. I only listened to this actually yesterday. It's the reason why I just happened to be sitting there. The soft focus sort of Mills and Boone photos of the band were in the back where they look kind of like, I mean, Geezer looks like something from like an early 80s, Benadorn sitcom where he's like a waiter who woos a kind of stuffy Englishwoman on a, a in Corfu or something, you know. Who but plays drums on this record? It's Bill Ward. Is it? Yeah. Um, I mean, Crashed, Stonehenge, Disturbing the Priest is all right. The Dark Zero, the hero, dun, 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 dun. that's kind of a uh, co- oh, cool enough song. Digital bitch, yet yeah, born again. It's a, it's an album that seems to be the product. My fucking squeaky chair. It seems to be a product of a lot of booze and cocaine. I would I would wager. Yep. And I think this it's- is an album as well, kind of
2: like what we a couple, talked about. A couple of these records, like another perfect day and stuff, and like we'll get on to Daily Mount Park and stuff. But oh, yeah. there was a lot of people making records where they're saying, "I'm not playing any of those songs." You know, I think whenever they were doing mm-hmm. this tour, you got to hear "Smoke on the Water." and like Children of the Grave or something, and then just a whole new album. Like I don't think G- Gillen was into the idea of doing D.O. or Aussie era stuff, the same way as Brian Robinson said, I don't want to play any of those songs that your fans love. you know.
0: Well, by all accounts, that Daily Monk gig, he had all his lyrics on the floor, and the dry ice was that dry ice that doesn't move. It just sort of sits. Um, yeah. Early 80s kind of stuff, and he came out to sing, and he couldn't see his lyrics for Iron Man because he didn't bother to learn the songs. <laughs> Bent down to move the ice, split his trousers, and had to be ferried back to the backstage, which of course was like a hundred meters away from Porter Cabin. And then driven back. So Sabbath, so the so the mythology goes, played the first two
2: songs instrumental. See for people who don't know, this is a, a couple of times in the late seventies and early eighties they tried to have a heavy metal festival in Ireland and uh, mm. Dalyman Park. Yeah, I'll bring, it up, it was, I'll bring up the to- picture of it. But it was a cacophony of just like un un unloved lineups, like Diamond Head doing Canterbury, Motorhead doing another Perfect Day, you know, Born Again. Like I, you could see how uh, Twisted Sister must have just come on and blown blown everyone off the stage. Well, you know, was,
0: this was Sunday, the twenty eighth of August, Daily Mount Stadium, and but the pictures of it, it doesn't look fucking full at all. The pictures.
2: Yeah, it always looks like there's very few people there. Look, it looks
0: like there's about seven or eight thousand people there, not twenty or twenty-five. We've got Mammals, Boys opening, Anvil, Diamond Head, Chris's sister, Motorhead, Black Sabbath. So that's Diamond Head on Canterbury, Motorhead on Another Birthday, and Black Sabbath, on Born Again. Weird, like uh, on albums that were all poorly received that year. And you could, yeah,
2: it was you could, probably it was, fucking raining as well. Like, you know, yeah,
0: the photos. There's a few photos, and it looks. Well, it looks overcast, but of course it's going to be overcast. It's Ireland in the 1980s. It wasn't the whole decade overcast. Um, and didn't D. Snyder get have his picture taken with the Lord Mayor or something, which made the cover of the Daily Star or something?
2: Yeah, there was a, a an old thing where you could ask for the keys of the city or uh, get the keys from the city from the Lord Mayor if you were visiting dignitary, which I think when they enacted this law meant an American. So if you're an American who came to Dublin, you could meet the mayor and... Do all this, but it's funny as we're saying, like you know, Sabbath were out on tour with Diamond Head, you know, doing Canterbury and Born Again, which is just you could see how a lot of people were not plussed, or there were only seven thousand people there, whereas maybe in you know nineteen eighty six or nineteen seventy eight there would have been twenty thousand people there, you know.
0: I mean, yeah, there's there, there's pictures of it online, a couple of pictures. The stage looks, of course, super. Weird and unprofessional it Looks sort of like A rather big tent But it appears to be sort of Pink or orange On the underside of the tent I mean, look You can you can, you. could yeah. I, I think you know What it was like Without having to look At the pictures You know Absolutely. 1983 in Ireland But yeah Born Again I know some people like and There is a There is something kitschy And weird about the record Like it's a weird listen It's a very Weird snare Um well, you know, and there is some cool parts on it. There's some genuinely vaguely dark sort of moments in the music. But as a whole, I find Gillen's voice on it fucking bugs me, you know.
2: My my thing where I think about it is that before, you know, before Dio joined the band, they were in a place where I think it was Technical Ecstasy. They went to Florida to make the album and had been there for five months, spent like 20 grand a month on coke. And not recorded anything. And when the record company came there after five months, they were like, Yeah, we haven't done anything. We've just been going nuts in Florida. Like <laughs> So I think that once Dio had left the band and you know it was Bill Ward and Geezer and Tony, they probably were just like, Do you wanna do you wanna just go totally nuts like and yeah. not give a buck about what sort of album you come out with? And they're like, Yep. Yeah. Well, <laughs> okay, just,
0: well, Jeff Nichols was there, wasn't he? Iomi's party buddy, who was from yeah. ports, was it? And he was wasn't he kind of like keyboards and fixer,
2: man about town? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I so. it's so. it's it's a weird and the, the artwork has taken on a sort of kitschy cool as well for some people, you know. Wouldn't it be the first time I've seen a blue T-shirt of this and some eighteen-year-old kid, you know. But yeah. it's,
2: I see it frequently, and like a proper old-fashioned old fat boy I feel like going up to those people and being all like do you like this album or is it just do you like the album cover that's fine like they just like the album cover but like you know yeah I know. again I, mean, I would say that if anyone who's really into this you should really be listening to the 7C the 7Sign or you know, one of their oh, one of their yeah. I love that on. the
0: Glenn Hughes record 7 Star I love that but I mean Headless Grass Tear and Eternal Idol after this I don't recognise sound barrier. Total control. Um, flick of the switch.
2: Wow. Yeah, I was going to bring that up and just say, it. like, so they're clearly on auto cruise here. Like, you know, the uh, the drop in quality that we got on for those about to rock and went down again, didn't it?
0: I I don't know. I mean, I I did the basic dc thing with Addy from fear and both of us agreed that outside of the seventies and the first two in the eighties, the best albums and I think there's a mm-hmm. flick of the switch and Wallbreaker, arguably. But flick of the switch, I I mean, I think I think this is a good record. It just okay. it, it's a good hard rock record. It's solid. It's got some great songs in it, like um, Landslide, Brainshake, Guns for Hire is a classic. But it's a hard nosed record that doesn't have the huge production of Mulang the big choruses. It it I mean, it's got better songs on it than For Those About to Rock. Like if you line of the long knives um you know do 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 whatever what the fuck is that put the i put the finger on you and not bad songs but i i would take guns for hire over some of those songs
2: guns um, for Hire is me a better song
0: <clears throat> yeah nervous shakedown is all right flick oops, flick of the switches mm. as, as an opener as a title track it's cool the, the the artwork always is it mystifies me it's very weird but it's kind of cool it's a weird idea this is like a pencil sketch it's more that
2: the logo. It seems like a kind of continuation of the last album cover, where they're yeah. like, "Right, okay, let's not do something zany. Let's just have something." But then, like, it, it, it looks like a masterpiece. Is the next album "Fly on the Wall"? Yeah, wall yeah. Is it? yeah, yeah. And then blow up your video where, like, it was literally the shittest album covers you yeah. could think of. Who made,
0: <laughs> yeah, you get who made who. Then you get "Blow Preview." "Blow Video." I think is '88. "Fly on the Wall" is maybe '85. But Flick "Flicker the Switch," but I think it's. N- I think. I think, think "Flicker the Switch" is an underrated record in the ACDC canon. It deserves more of a listen, but I understand you can understand why it failed because it doesn't have any hits on it. it they fired Mutt Lang, they fired all the backroom staff, they fired all the people who worked in the studio. They went bollocks, yeah. we'll do it ourselves.
2: And it's you a- would you would also say, man, that like you know, the failure of Flick of the Switch would have been an outrageous success for Saxon, Horn, and Glory. Like, you I know, mean- there were. They were literally just blown down by X million, but they were still selling millions of copies of Flick and Switch. Well,
0: I mean, I think I read that the lowest selling record is found on the wall, and it's not certified very high. It's just a couple of million, maybe even. Um, And so they went from selling, they have one of the greatest or biggest selling albums of all time. Three albums later, they were down to, they could still fill a stadium. They were filling a stadium for people hearing, you shook me all night long, not hearing, Yeah, shake your foundations which i think is a fucking great song but you
2: know but this is one of these classic kind of things that i think around this era like and the same thing happened diamond head the third single off the album was a live version of you shook me all night long or you know in diamond head's case a live version of sucking my love because they were clearly like shit people are not really liking these new singles what about just doing a live version of one of the songs that people do like as a single like
0: yeah, yeah, I have some. I do have some singles. From, I never, think the singles were "Nervous Shakedown" and "Guns for Hire." I think were the singles. But I, I'm, I stand by this record. I think it's a good record. But I'm a fan of flying the walls up. But I think this is a good. I think this totally. is totally, and you can fun imagine
2: record. how fucking mean, if they had a played in the RDS in 1983, like you know, know, I'm sure they did. Yeah, like, I'm sure Ireland at that stage was going SEBC mad because like cultural <laughs> phenomenons like Back and Black frequently don't get to places like Ireland until a couple of years later. So yeah. I would say that, like, in 1983, people were discovering ACDC and going insane, you know, I mean, on a on a huge level rather than... Yeah. Because often yeah. they'd been here in the 70s, you know?
0: Yeah, I, I think there's a bit of also snobbery of people who just don't want to listen to 70s ACC. I get it. I mean, look, what's much better than PowerAge? The answer is fuck all.
2: But it's the second, st- second hour of the podcast, and we'll have to bring up the traditional subject of docking, like... Docking you know, Mm-mm. Breaking the Chains. Oh, that's this year. Hang on. I, let's go to the Trust. Am I missing, do- any? Am I missing any in between here? Oh, notes,
0: Trust with a very black metal looking cover. Ideal. I've never heard this record. I must be honest. I, I never really give a shit about Trust.
2: One? I don't really like them, to be no. honest with you.
0: Well, Dockin, September the 18th, Breaking the Chains. Breaking the Chains. Um, this is the first docking record I bought a long 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 time ago and I I liked the opening track and I liked one or two other tracks Night Rider but I think I bought it in 92 or something like this I found it on CD for like three quid and I, I'd heard about docking I didn't really know docking yet they weren't a band I liked in the in the 80s I did I knew all of them I knew songs here and there but I didn't have a copy of under Lock and key in 1988 or 89. They just kind of, re- they were just not on the radar in Ireland, you know. And then I saw Breaking the Chains, it might have even been a, a year yeah. or two earlier than that, it might have even been 1991 maybe, and I bought it and didn't really like it, and it sat in my CD collection for years, and it wasn't until maybe end of the 90s I began to really get super into Dokken. Um, but it's interesting because it's like songs from like 1978 and 79 and all the way up, yeah. you know.
2: He had a <clears throat> he had a kind of collection of songs as a songwriter. A lot of people probably don't realise this, but like back in the day, Don Dokken was a rhythm guitar player, singer kind of guy, and mm. he you know he'd been attached with bands with people from Wasp and a whole bunch of different things. And this album was originally recorded a couple of years earlier, whenever he was um, in Germany to sing on "Blackout" by the Scorpions, Um and there. There is a cool, like it's got a way better front cover, right? The the Don Dawkins solo record breaking the chains. Well, there's also he the, and up to something, isn't he? Being all like, yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> well, there's also the uh, there's the back in the streets, the sort of Germany '82 recording of the record because they were playing in Germany in '82 with no record out yet, which was so bizarre. And they recorded the album. In
2: Germany. It was like um, uh, Dieter, whatever his face is, the guy who was the manager and producer for the Scorpions. He was obviously friendly with and in some regards so that he um, he said, listen, Klaus has lost his voice here and we'll have to start yeah, yeah. working on Blackout. So you come in and sing on the demos, we'll delete your vocals. And as a favor for doing that, uh, I'll make or I'll get my assistants, basically the engineers to make your solo album and you can tour around Germany and stuff like
0: that. Yeah. And I wow.
2: think that said that was like 81. And then I think there was a period of like inactivity basically for about a year and a half where there was nothing doing. Mm. Um, And then somehow they got into a situation where the guy from the Scorpions or their manager had uh, convinced Q Prime and Electra to pick up Dokken. And then he rang the guy's, uh, you know, what's his face, uh, George Lynch and stuff and said, listen, this and thing's back on, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's um, now, I like the record more now. Than I than I did when I heard it thirty odd years ago. Um, I, I like the, the worst of their eighties
2: records. Is it? Hmm? Is it the worst of their eighties records?
0: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the cover sort of freaks me out in a weird way. It looks, it reminds me of something of a computer game from nineteen eighty three or something. You know.
2: Yeah, I think it, it looks it looks weirdly futuristic, but it certainly looks shit. You know, um, they did a ped. Apparently, like, hundreds of thousands of dollars to buy on the Blue Oyster Cult tour oh. for Fire of Unknown Origin, which is, like, a BOC album from that year, which is, or not Fire of Unknown Origin, sorry, Revolution by Night, which is, I like it, but, it like, it was a Bruce Furbanks produced kind of attempt at making a pop pop album and it yeah. went really badly. So I think Dokken had paid all this money to do an arena tour where they were playing the half-empty arenas. Right. And then they came, came back and, like, their label were just, like,
0: it's got some good stuff. I mean it's got it's got Paris is burning on it, hasn't it? It's got felony with some rather dubious. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well next on the list September the twenty-third Kiss, lick it up. Uh, we we just
2: like, is there anything good to say like what yeah, like, well, the key yeah. the key change the key change in lick it up is fucking is inspired, like isn't it? Like, you know? I kind of like
0: that song sort of i mean it's i don't i don't love it or you know it's it's got a thing i don't what other fucking songs are on that record i mean is is this um i mean lick it up is one of their biggest songs isn't it
2: yeah like i think that they were in like they seem to be in that situation kind of like a fucking glider or something where it's like like they'll have massive success and then like fuck it up for themselves, and just when they're about to start going down below, like three or four thousand people at their concerts, there'll be something that will literally boost them back up. Like you know,
0: well, this was the first public appearance without makeup by the band. Okay, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Nineteen eighty-three. I mean, it doesn't. I, I the the video is a bit weird, rapey, isn't it? Something a bit. Odd about it. And I think Vinnie Vincent, is Vinnie Vincent on this record?
2: Uh, I think he is, yeah.
0: He is, yeah. And yeah, one afterwards. Vinnie Vincent is very odd in that video. There's some weird things going on in that video. If you haven't, don't know the Nick It Up video, have a little look at it. And in the end, I think they get the comeuppance by a bunch of uh, sort of women, don't they like electrocute them or something in a bar, you know? So maybe
2: some just... Yeah, but it's so vintage, like for... Considering that Spinal Tap was about to come out, it's insanely accurate. Like whatever they were talking about about the cover of their album, it's like, oh man. Well, it like, says
0: here. It says here that the album marked a turnaround from the band's flagging fortunes of the previous few years. There you go.
2: Yeah, because it made a couple of clunkers, hadn't it? That people didn't like music from the elder and Oh the Yeah, music from the elder,
0: but, yeah. <laughs> Lick it up was was certified platinum uh, by December nineteen ninety. Okay.
2: Right, well, that's not particularly good, is it, considering that all their popular albums have gone platinum immediately? Like, you know. Um, yeah, but like, this is on this list by just a fucking, it is a hard rock album and, you know, fair play to kiss.
0: Well, the possibly. next the next record I don't know, Steeler. No, I know Ingve was in Steeler, right? And then he was replaced yeah. by that guy who doesn't seem to be very good to me. What's a guy, a German guy with the big hair? Or is that a different Steeler? No, it's not. It's the same Steeler, isn't it?
2: no there's two stealers I think there's Steeler from Germany and Steeler from America I think anyway I, never I think so now I could be wrong people of the comments if you know everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist fitting into their schedule and of course the cost well BetterHelp can solve those problems it's totally online and built around your schedule it's surprisingly affordable too
0: And it, certainly the guitar player is a big fucking step down from Ingway. Sealer was a nineteen eighties American band
2: featured Ingve Malmstein. Okay. And uh, Graham Balnut, I think, I know, that was the Alcatraz, wasn't um, Wow, and the singer is Ron Keel.
0: Okay, and that's Rudy Sarzo, is it on the bass? The original lineup, Ron Keel and vocals and rhythm guitar, Bobby Eva, Tim Morrison, blah blah blah. I, then, and also, before just going back for a minute, the guy who was playing the bass in Dockett on that German thing in 81, that's um, the guy from Rat, what's his name?
2: Juan uh, Cruiser, is it, or?
0: it? Yeah, he's on that. Anyway, yeah, Steeler. I, awesome. A lot of time to spend on a record. I don't know this record at all, Steeler. Okay, shout of the devil. Well, now,
2: I'm a fan. Jim. But, and like, see, same management company, Q Prime, who are looking after Def Leppard Pyromania. You know, I think they had some involvement with Crocus for a while and like, you know, they picked up Metallica a year later. But, and they were working with Docking at that stage, but this is like their next big, huge, here we go, Break America project. And man, what a successful record. Like,
0: yeah, and it sounds huge for people, any kind of haters of the record, or whatever. I mean, it's a, the drum sound is massive. The guitar tone is tr- dirty and filthy. Singing isn't that annoying, which is quite incredible. But it's got bangers on it, you know. Uh, what I think, it, did.
2: I think they did a really, really excellent. Like, and there's probably a lot of people who do are very serious about their metal don't don't dig this. But like, I think that they did a brilliant job of trying to mix the kind of as- aspect of Venom and Sabbath, where it was supposed to be evil, but yeah. also kind of the you know the I don't know the Van halen he like, w- we want women to like this, but it yeah, also I mean, has to be people who want, it, like, Satan in
0: their music. Well, let's just say it's got an edge. It's a bit dangerous, it's got big choruses, but it's got a bit of filth, and they did look like how they looked in the album inlay. And can you imagine picking up that album inlay and going, look at these cunts, and thinking, they can't surely look like this. But, I mean, looks that kill, too young to fall in love, banger,
2: 10 right. seconds to love, you know, it's, it's of the it, devil. the title track is a fucking is an awesome one. You can yeah. see so much why people were looking at something like Flick the switch by SEDC or this and being all like, well, you know, or lick it up and being all like, yeah, th- this this clearly seems way more legitimate and cool and relevant. Look, like, you know, and it's
0: young and it's exciting and it's got a bit of fucking evil to it. You know, um, five yeah. copies apparently it says here, um, but I'm not really too sure about that, but. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's a fucking, it's a, it's a banger of a record. I can't, I couldn't tell you that I liked it in the eighties, but, um, I picked it up in vinyl somewhere in the nineties and was kind of like, because it just sort of sat way more near, way nearer to Wasp than I h- imagined in my head. Cause I'm not you a big fan of
2: as well. Like, you know, it's, it's one of those things that like, kind of like Number of the Beast where it took a ban from being, you know, opening for 38th Special or whoever the fuck yeah. it was to really really
0: well i mean if you look think about it girls goes girls has two good songs the rest of it's rubbish
2: dr field definitely the the one that followed yeah there's there's some good songs on it but like even the production it's one of those albums kind of like pleasures of the flesh where the immediate thing he goes like what has happened with the drums why do the drums sound so bizarre why is the production so weird like it's all kind of muffly and I mean, you've got smoke you got some opening. the opening band for the Theatre European Tour? Running Wild. Exciter, exactly. it? <laughs> really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good poop, isn't it, look? Yeah, you wouldn't mind that. Maybe that's worth the three million records. The
0: next record I don't think I've ever even seen on the list, Alice Cooper, Dada.
2: I don't even. think mean, this is the one where he had short hair, I think. I know. Or there's maybe it's called In the Army or fucking, I, I don't know. I, I have maneuver.
0: no clue. I've never even seen this record. Um, so fuck it. Um, Riot, Born in America. Look at this. Uh, this is the day three. Because I feel like you've got Fire Down Under is 90 or 80.
2: Sorry. Um, Did they so really- the first two albums are set 78, 79, 80. And then is there maybe, is there no album in 81? No, uh, Fire Down Under is from definitely from 81, man. So Well, this it says here this is the fifth riot album. Um and you know what? People can skip to the previous episode where we sat there going, Now what order did they come out in? Because we always end up trying to think (laughs) of what order riot albums come out in. Doesn't matter. But yeah, and we've also talked about the album cover of this. So Ah, Okay, Okay, let's let's move on. Let's move on.
0: (laughs) Alcatraz, no parole from rock and roll. Now I'm again, I'm not I don't know this record. I do I have a friend. Um, who I play football with who swears by this record like he and he still has a whole bunch of Alcatraz shirts and always after five six years once this is what he wants to hear and you're just like okay but I I don't the album cover is quite special isn't it it's kind of like a floating rock with a sort of jail
2: yeah because it's Alcatraz like it's the rock Alcatraz isn't it yeah the,
0: the logo is very do you think Anthrax robbed a bit of this logo
2: yeah, that's it. Like, that'd probably be exactly it. They would be sitting idolizing Alcatraz, being like one day, we'd be like Alcatraz, one but glorious day. I, I must Again, admit, I, I don't music know is this. One. for, but it's definitely for uh, Americans. I don't like, they probably did tour in Germany and stuff like that, and maybe Germans are into this, or it'd be like, it's definitely a kind of Sweden rock type band, Alcatraz. Yeah,
0: isn't, isn't this also Vado, oh. isn't
2: it? Yeah.
0: And Graham Bonnet, right?
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but I think they're quite they're quite transferable in terms of material. One of the bands has got a song called "Backseat Bravo which is, right? Yeah, why not?
0: You know, like, seems like
2: any Ron Keel type product where you're just going to be rocking out with Keel, like you know.
0: <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure that's uh, that's available uh, on their, um, you know, OnlyFans or whatever, or their website or something. You can rock out. Hang out with them for the weekend. Violent Breed Rocks. Never heard this record. Um, you know, my mate Eric will be like, I thought you knew all the metal records. Don't know this one. Oh, okay. Now we're talking mercil fate, Melissa. Oof. There you go. Now hey, is great. something else happening here. Could be the greatest heavy metal debut of all time, Melissa.
2: It's certainly one of my favorite album covers. I think that like the it it the art looks so cool and like it brings you into the zone, you know, yeah. like kind of like same as Maiden, you're all of a sudden in, in the at- right atmosphere for the music and, and everything about it.
0: It's a step up from everything in the sense that, well, you know, this and Don't Break the Oath, they're just, this is a band who are on another level compared to everybody else, whether it's the solos, the songwriting, the riffs, the musicianship, it's just, you've got the whole thing and Melissa just sounds incredible and it's evil heavy metal. Curse of the Pharaohs, evil. It's just, Yeah. Um, And as a debut, I can't hard push to think what's a better heavy metal debut than this. I mean, it's better than the first
2: album. It's a very um, very well made record as well. You know, for like, it does kind of have that same vibe as the first maiden album, but everything is just really tightly played. And like, whenever we've been looking at the NCN list of Euro metal that we've been going through here, none of it sounds really like, is there any European bands on this list whose album sounds as good as this? Maybe. Like Raven All for One that's the same production quality. I don't Thanks think so. More, but you know, you know what I mean? Like, as in like you could tell that Merciful Fate were extremely serious musicians, as yeah, well as like
0: way more serious than nearly every band, yeah. And this it's the yeah. solos and it's the attention to small detail with the riffs and stuff, or just yeah, they're on a different plane to to almost every other band in this, you know. And it's evil heavy metal, you know. It's um yeah, it's 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 a stone cold. One of the greatest I've not
2: read. I, I, do, I do think it is kind of slightly a product of its times in the sense that like it is a bit like a evil Danish version of Number of the Beast in places, you know? Mm. Like there, you know, disco beats and stuff like that on it and on things of that nature, which yeah, you might not f- necessarily appreciate. Well, it's got some shuffling stuff
0: on it. Yeah, the drummer, I mean, he's got some he's got some game. But yeah, it's just gives yeah. everything about it, but especially just it's that it's the it's the attention to small little details and the riffing and the trading solos back and forth I mean
2: yeah it's, like, and it's, again I think that's part of the maiden stroke priest sort of influence where they're yeah, like it's priest it? not only this music has to be pretty ferocious but it has to be full of guitar solos you know yeah.
0: I mean it's it's, so it's so <laughs> influence of priest in it you know
2: and that's something I have to say man about modern heavy metal that I don't like you know is that, that I think that like guitar solos are something that people love about this kind of music you know and like you don't have to necessarily do them all in the same kind of way, but like I think he, he, it'd be better. If fans try to approach their music saying, "Let's have a cool guitar bit that people like," instead of saying, "You know, that's a, pa- a pasty sure fucking you know very eighties way of looking at stuff."
0: Mm. Next is Witchfinder General. My friends of Hell. I love this record. I love it. I'm trying to track it down in the end of the eighties was it was a quest to find records by them, Pentagram, Saint Vitus, Proto
2: Dune. That sort of stuff.
0: Yeah, to find those records and the, I remember one somewhere. It must be maybe 90, 89, 90 or ninety-one. You got, I'd got tape traded, a few Doom stuff, but one day in a what some record store, other I found the first Angel Witch, Friends of Hell, and a few Saint Fitus records, and they were like two and three quid each, and it was just like for ten quid or for fourteen quid, I got the yeah. like, Holy Grail. Fucking it's crazy isn't
2: it? Because whenever you think about it, like not only would people be paying 30 or 40 quid now for a record, oh, but back back then, like it was like whenever I was discovering all those like sort of nuclear assault records, I would have happily t- paid a tenner for them. But because it was so same as kind of fucking Witchfinder General at that stage, so out of the fucking out of vogue, you know, you were getting them for a quid or 50p. You could yeah. literally buy an entire band's discography. For yeah. fuck all.
0: Yeah, know? I mean, I have, I think, five St. Vice records from the 80s, and I got all five for like £10 in like 90 or something or 91. Yeah. And that was it's just so like-
2: crazy as well. Like, people ne- will never understand that younger people who are, well, I suppose they will because they want, like, if they grow up having this music totally available to them on Spotify or whatever, it's instant gratification. <coughs> so you can listen to it. But I say if you have the instant gratification of getting into violence or whoever it is, they only made like 30 or 40,000 violence copies of Eternal Nightmare. And I would say that most of them have been taken up by people who love the band. So it's not the same as it was 20 or 30 years ago where there's thousands of unsold copies sitting about waiting for people to get, you know.
0: There's something weird about Witchfinder Journal, for example, is that they're a band who seem to exist in their shire, so to speak, played in pubs in a few places around where they were from. They don't seem to have ever gone on tour in Europe or played festivals. They and they they played. They made their two albums and then they just they were gone. But they they were around from what like you know you've got the Burning a Sinner. You've got the Soviet Invasion twelve inch and stuff. But they had about four or five years where they had to go. But they don't I, yep. I don't. I can't find any record of them doing like a German tour in eighty two or something. Seems like you had to support somebody huge or forget about it. You know. Also, the yeah, album, probably was the album cover is fucking Maybe. hilarious. It's just. <laughs> I wonder How much they paid all those girls on the cover? Yeah,
2: so, them. man, what about Tokyo Blade?
0: Well, and we're going to skip over pandome Pandemonium. I don't, I don't even know this record. Tokyo Blade. Yeah, I like this record. Heaven is hell, or whatever it is. Yeah, I like. I like. I'm a fan of Tokyo Blade. I'm not a
2: huge fan, but I like them. It's kind of now, This this had a bit of a following in Europe, though, didn't it? Yeah. Like there are those bands that, if you look at all those early art rock tags and. You know, proto metal festivals, as you said, the a lot. and stuff. They were they were hanging around there until about 85, eighty five, eighty six. I
0: would say they they were a band who must have had somebody good management. It seems yep. to be it seems okay. to be a lot back then about who manages you. Um, but and because you are right, <laughs> everywhere
2: This straddled a bit of a line where I think that because something like Shrouded the Devil or Quiet Rat had been a success, and at least in England, it, the news of its success had come around that, you know, maybe management people were like, yeah, this seems like a good bet. You know, let's find bucks behind it, these guys. Realistically,
0: it's sort of like heavy hair, isn't it? It's sort of a bit clammy, New Wave British Heavy Metal. Um, yeah. But this is a good record. Yeah, I own this one somewhere. I think so as well. Um, yeah, I think musically... Oof. Go on. Next, the last three albums. I mean, let, we let's... Our Bark at the Moon... Show no mercy and balls to the wall, and then it's over. Oof.
2: Yeah, outrageous, isn't it?
0: It's a strong end into the year, isn't it?
2: I mean and like three three totally different kind of you know genres of heavy, heavy, heavy rock music. Like, you know, you've got the most unbelievably commercial, million selling, like career changing album, Bark of the Moon, mm. and then a pretender to that throne with Balls to the Wall, and then Show No Mercy, which is like you know, an underground, you like I mean, I have I'd to say... say well, I you know that Slayer were just as influenced by the Aussies' solo stuff on Accept as they would have been by Venom at that stage. They weren't an out-and-out out fucking, you know...
0: I don't
2: know. ...satanic I don't black metal band. I don't think... I think I, that half think, the half vibe know. was like, let's rock, let's rock out. I know? think
0: Shona Mercy is satanic speed metal. I mean, that's what it is. I mean, the back inverted crosses and eyeliner and stuff. It's like, yeah, it's but a, it is.
2: But it's also... I, I think it's also a, like... A heavy metal record I think in some way influenced by fucking the vibe of what was going on with uh, like um uh, motley crew on shout at the devil like no
0: i mean now looking back it, it it isn't but back then i think it was i think there'd been no doubt would have been influenced by fast as a shark every fast band was influenced by fast as a shark and except when it came out that was hugely influential but I think Shona Mercy is just—I mean, it's just Judas Priest on meth. That's what it is. Chorionics Final Command. But it—but also you can see the moment where Venom, obviously, or Slayer, obviously, heard Venom. Where there's a moment where they were like, you know, the stripy shirts and the kind of little, you know, spandexy stuff, and then it's like black metal. Obviously, somebody came down to the rehearsal room with it. Went, you got to hear this. And literally, you could probably see like a week later. I do not I mean, know because
2: to me it seems like that they, they were huge. Maiden and Priest type band, uh, fans when they were doing those covers, as you said, wearing the stripy Docking shirts and stuff. But like, I kind of think that by the time that you know their first album had come out, right, <clears throat> they were definitely influenced by the Venom thing visually and like slightly musically. But I think that they were banking on the idea that a lot of the people who were going to listen to the band were Motley Crue type fans who wanted satanic, theatrical. I don't, I, I don't stuff, think. You know? I don't. I would disagree.
0: I think, and even that Slayer themselves would have said it at the time, we were the antidote to all that crap. The same with Metallica and stuff. I think they were just into
2: This is the thing, they they might be saying that after the fact, but that's only because they had an audience full of people who were cutting their names into their arms, you know? At that stage, they were being all like, you know what would be great? If we could get fucking some of these people who like, you know, fucking, like Iron Maiden and Motley Crue to listen to our band. But I
0: I think you forget how divided, divisive that whole hair rock thing was compared to something like Slayer I mean, Slayer might kill all. And this were seen as the kind of, you know, the, the, the antidote to some of that big hair stuff. And now we can look back and go, well, doesn't Motley Crue look a bit like sarcophago in 85, 86, a little bit, you know, the altar and the pentagram and the big hair. And you can go, yeah, Motley Crue looks a bit like Death SS and looks a bit like whatever. But I think at the time there was a big division. I mean, you listen to Evil Has No Boundaries. I mean, it's just pure, you know, it rushes out of the gate like a fucking faster black metal. And it's with fucking, it's, it is, I think it's, it's just coincidence-ish. I think that they happen to have some of the same uh, eyeliner and leather and stuff like this and that. But I think it's more firmly in the Venom black metal camp than, um. you know, they were hoping that Motley Crue fans were going to listen to it. But the Maiden Priest stuff, I think, is your, it's perfectly correct,
2: you know. Yeah, well, I would say, like, image-wise, it was probably more of a Motley Crue thing. I don't think that there's any songs from the First Layer record that I, they could say would be influenced by see, I see,
0: I don't think they were influenced by Motley Crue's image. I think that that kind of image was ubiquitous amongst an awful lot of bands, in in irrespective or independent of each other. I mean, if you listen to the progression from this, holding the chapel, you could argue, is fucking death metal. I mean, you know, the song holding the chapel for me is, you can hear Morbid Angel easily in this. I don't know, I mean, it's... This is, you've got Kill em All earlier in the year and then Show No Mercy. I mean, and the cover is kind of goofy and cartoonish, which has a kind of cool kitsch to it now, but at the time you're thinking, maybe it could have been a bit more.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, show No Mercy? Yeah. I think it's uh, got a really cool cover of a Dennis Wheatley novel from the 60s type vibe about it, you know? Yeah, it's like the guy, so. the guy, he's drawn in a way that if somebody told me that it was a lift from something like that, I wouldn't be surprised, but he the background, so.
0: He's not as muscly as some of the other muscular, you know, characters we've seen throughout this list, though. I mean, yeah. although he he has... I
2: would like to think that that was a personal decision by Slayer where they said we so, would like him to have fur on his arms instead of having huge biceps. Like, well, know. he has
0: very big biceps, but he's got furry legs. Okay. But he's also got our, like, little denim hot pant kind of things going on. So like they never. Here's the difference: is like you get this record, and then you get Hellhammer Apocalyptic Rage, which is like
2: eh. Yeah. Oh, it's the same guy from the cover of um, Welcome to Hell, isn't it? Like it's or sorry, uh, Black Metal. It's the same goat dude who, who's the well, same. Oh, yeah, it's the same. Like, Batman from like um, what's called, What's the movie? Uh, the Devil Rides Out. You know when Satan sure. arrives and the devil rides out? That's, it's kind of, that's what it looks like. Originally, it's not,
0: that, originally, that Baphomet drawing was done by this guy called Eliphas de Levi or something, a, like an early Victorian occultist or something. Or maybe oh really?
2: He maybe, yeah, right. So that's where that comes from. Maybe he's so even evil, like, You know, when the trash metal world guys Like, we... Yeah. Maybe know.
0: that's even 18... Maybe he, that's even 1820 or 1810 or 1840 or something like this. But yeah, he was a kind of proto-occultist kind of thing and he yeah. that's what the first... Baffle me came from.
2: Like, clearly, like, massively, massively influential record um, now, but at the time, you know... At the time, even... I think
0: it was considered a bit of a joke by people in the press and they were like, this will never last. Because people were just kind of shocked and didn't know what to, to think about it. And I think, speaking to people who were around at the time, you know, this is a bit before our time, they were like, oh, when Haunting the Chapel came out, people were like, oh, fuck. When Kem- they heard Chemical go yeah. for the first time, this is like, oh, this band.'" Uh, you got to consider them in a much, much more serious way. And then, of course, Hello Waits yeah. is um, a whole other kettle of evil, you know?
2: So, like, Bark at the Moon, again, man, like, obviously a really, really polished and, like, sort of a million-dollar production kind of scenario. Like, ha- has it aged as well?